morning. Good to see all of you. Merry Advent season. Good to be worshiping alongside you this morning. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, God, we, God, we're just so humbled by your goodness this morning. God is evidenced in this body as we see um, men and women uh, get in our own body uh, hurting and and um, in pain. And God, we know and so grateful, God, that you remain the same in that hurt and that pain. And God, we are thankful uh, that you sent your son, God, that, uh, that, that he would walk this earth, God, that he would be among men, but fully God. God, with the intent and the purpose of going to the cross humbly to die a painful death for us, for our sins, uh, that we may be saved and redeemed and brought uh, back into relationship with you. Uh, God, I just pray as we sang this morning, God, that you would make room in our hearts. God, as we prepare to dive into your word, God, that we would receive you, that our hearts and our minds would be transformed and be renewed by, the, by, uh, by your word. And God, I know this morning, God, I'm a fallible man, God, that, um, uh, God, that, is, that uh, doesn't speak truth without your word. And God, I just ask that you would make me low. Uh, God, um, uh, that, that your word would be great and mighty and seen. And God, I trust that your word this morning will not re- return void, just as you, just as you promise. God, I love you. We praise you. I'm thankful that you loved us first. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'll try and keep the the uh, breath through the microphone to a to a minimum. How about that? All right, we'll mess with it a little bit. All right. On March 11th of 2020, I left work a little early, and I took my family to do one of our favorite things. We went to an Eagles hockey game. One of my favorite things. I love it. So if you ever want to go, you let me know. Um, the next day, the world shut down, didn't it? The world shut down, and the start of the pandemic might, be, might go down as one of those days in my life, and maybe it is as yours, um, as a day that I'll never forget where I was. Like maybe some of you, that Friday, I moved my office from the building that I'd been working in for the last eight years to the spare room in my basement with nothing but a small desk and a leopard-spotted chair. I threw that chair away, praise the Lord, about four months ago after it broke on me, but I'd used it, used it every single day since March 13th. And what I didn't realize at that time, and really throughout the last 20 months or so since, was that working from home would starve me of the in-person interaction that gave me energy. I had never really been depressed before, and I couldn't even recognize it, to be honest. And that being more productive than ever in days full of video conferences was draining me. And when I walked the 16 stairs back up to my family, at the end of each day, I was counting on them to fill me up. I was putting so much expectation and rest in them. And, and I had so much expectation on them, who I loved most, that they were constantly, that they would constantly fill, um, fill me up, and they were failing me, and not to their fault. I was attaching myself to my wife and to my kids, and I wanted them to be my joy and my rest and my happiness and my reprieve. And when my expectations weren't met, and the kids started fighting, or maybe Linda said something that I was overly sensitive to, that happens a lot, not her saying things, me being overly sensitive, I shut down. That's my response. That's my default. I completely shut down. I'd spiral, and, and I'd get frustrated, and I'd get angry, and I'd get depressed. And I was looking for fulfillment from Linda and from my boys. 
They're pretty mighty, especially Linda, who can kick my butt in the gym any day of the week, no doubt. Um, but I, and I should enjoy them, and I, and I, should, and I should look forward to, to being with them and, and look, look to them for encouragement and help. But I was attaching myself to them rather than to Jesus. I struggle, honestly, with this sometimes still, even just this last week. And I trust this morning that God will do a similar work in you through his word that he started to do in me. Saul, the first king of Israel, had a similar knack for trusting in mighty men. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 14, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them, and he did valiantly, and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Saul defeated many enemies of Israel and attached himself to mighty men. The same Hebrew word here, used in 1 Samuel, is used in Isaiah 9 to describe the coming king the mighty God. Attaching ourselves looks like putting our trust in someone, expecting ultimate joy and comfort and peace, putting faith in someone to deliver us from pain and suffering and trials and whatever other battle we might be facing. So this morning, who might we be attaching ourselves to? Maybe like me, it's those you're closest to. It's your wife, your kids, your friends at the gym. Maybe it's your boss or the people that have a say in your success at work. Could it be a political figure? Maybe a pastor? Here's some questions to think about this morning as we see what God's word has for us. When things get hard, who do you go to? Who might you be putting your confidence in for strength and joy and peace or comfort? Are you attaching yourself to mighty men or to the mighty God? As November changes in December every single year, we step into the season of Advent, right? Where we prepare our hearts for Christmas and the coming of Jesus. And the author of a new Advent devotion we just started reading as a family, thanks to a recommendation from the Cuppinger family, it explains, it explains this really well, I think. It says, Advent in it is a time of worship, a time of reflection, a time of focus, and a time of family communion. In the midst of December's commotion and stress, we can relate to that, right? Advent is a few moments to stop, catch your breath, and renew your strength from the only one who can provide your true strength. Amen? We're in week two, as Dan mentioned, of our Advent series leading up to Christmas, where we're studying the names of God spoken by Isaiah to God's people in the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, in reference to the coming king. And as we read already in chapter nine of Isaiah, thanks to Sarah, a child is coming, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And these are aspects of his character that describe who he is and how he helps his people. We know that the prophet Isaiah was given a vision. He was given a message from God to deliver to God's people in Judah. And it's important that we acknowledge who God was speaking to through Isaiah. 
And we need to understand why this prophecy was spoken to Judah specifically. Now, God made a promise to David, king of Israel, many years earlier that through his house, through his family tree, that God would establish an eternal throne. We see this promise to David of an everlasting throne in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And when God's people were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the promise given to David would continue through the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And the same people that God is speaking to through his prophet Isaiah. But God, who was and is ever present and knows the hearts of men, he knew that his people, who once trusted in that promise, they were attaching themselves to the promises of the world. With the promises of mighty men, kings with a plan, warriors on a mission, or whatever other political power that seemed worthy of following. His people were moving from independence under, the, under God's power, under his power, to subservience under pagan powers. And we see this in God's call in Isaiah's, Isaiah to prophesy in chapter 6. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah, here I am, send me. And God said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of his people dull and their hearts heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. The turning away from God and towards the things of this world the rejection of his promised blessing, the unresponsiveness of his children to his voice, they all required judgment from the just God. God required faithfulness and righteousness, and his people were falling so far short. And being just, God would purify his people through judgment. But also being rich in mercy, and abounding in love, he has an overruling purpose of grace, which is the beauty of Isaiah's prophecy. It's a picture of us and our position today. And no matter how strong or powerful or great man may be, we can't save ourselves from the ruler of this world and sin, death. We're prone to look to others to rescue us or believing that we can rescue ourselves our first reaction sometimes through the flesh is to try to work ourselves out of whatever jam we might be in, or maybe to rely first on the help of others, when instead we should be attaching ourselves to the mighty God, who is able to deliver us from any evil and help us endure any trial or suffering. 
It's good and right to seek counsel and guidance from mighty men, men and women gifted by the Lord to speak into our lives, to help us and to point us to the cross. When we should take biblically grounded wisdom and physical help from others, we should take that. And like Dan shared last week, God has gifted men and women to counsel others, and he's put them in our lives to use them for our good and for his glory. But there is only one wonderful counselor. Jesus should be our ultimate refuge for wisdom and counsel and strength, and we should seek him first and often. There's a difference between listening to mighty men and attaching ourselves to them. And that line can so easily become blurry. I know it does for me. And we start to drift towards attaching ourselves to men. Mighty men who may help provide what we need for a time, but they lack the ability to give us true joy and comfort and peace and strength. Only the true mighty God is able to rescue us, and we should attach ourselves to him. He can be trusted. His promises will hold true. He's solely able to deliver us from the ultimate enemy, sin, and the devil. And his work is finished through his sent son, whose all-sufficient payment of death on the cross redeemed us by grace. And Jesus came to attach himself to us and for us to attach ourselves to him. So whose promises are you trusting? Who are you attaching yourself to? Mighty men or the mighty God? No man is completely worthy of attaching ourselves to, but the mighty God, the God-man, Jesus, is. Last week, we saw that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. We all need counsel as we face the pressures and trials and challenges of today, and God in his grace has given us the people in church, in in this church, um, and professional counselors um, to help us get unstuck and persevere. And those are good, and we should use them. But Jesus is our wonderful counselor, the one who walked in our shoes, the one who already knows us deeply and shows us unending patience and love, the one who redeems us and restores us. And there's so much joy and so much rest for the weary when we find our rest in Jesus, the wonderful counselor. This morning, we're going to see how God's word and his work reveal that Jesus is mighty God in the kingdom of Judah. Now and also forever. And for those who trust in Jesus, our faith rests in the power of God, not of men. Not only do we find rest in Jesus as our wonderful counselor, but we can attach ourselves to him as our mighty God. We can trust in him and his promises. We can put our confidence in him that he will do whatever he needs to do and give us whatever we need to have for life and godliness. We can attach ourselves to him and he will be faithful. He was and is reigning over the kings of this world, and he has defeated our greatest enemy, sin and Satan and death. We're going to start this morning by first seeing, as evidenced by the current events of Isaiah's time, that attaching ourselves to mighty man distracts us from our dependence on our mighty God. And then, with the promise of the mighty king, we're going to take a look and see that Jesus, the mighty God, is the only one worth attaching to. Although maybe not in ways we would expect, his life and his ministry are evidence of his strength, his might, and his rescue. The term mighty in Isaiah's prophecy is used to give name to the coming king. But we see this word used over and over again in scripture to describe someone who is strong, 
who is brave and who's a warrior and heroic. And not just to describe God, but it's often used to describe brave and strong and heroic men. Some who loved the Lord, but many who did not. This description here in Isaiah is of a coming son who would be born and who would grow up to be a man, fully man and fully God, yes, but fully man. I find it interesting here that God didn't use a different word, used maybe more exclusively to describe the deity of God, and that's the word almighty. We've heard that before, right? And we see almighty all over scripture to describe God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. And it's another name for God that he uses to introduce himself, like he did to Abraham in Genesis 17. I think God maybe used mighty here in reference to Jesus because he wanted to emphasize the fact that the king would come as a man. And that man would be much like the kings that God's people had been attaching themselves to, with one enormous difference. This man would also be fully God. I only call this out because I think God really wanted his people to really contemplate that he loved them enough to send his son in flesh to rescue the world from the rule of Satan and sinful man. He's a promise-keeping God. He kept the promise made to David that his throne would be everlasting, and he faithfully fulfilled that promise in Christ. Jesus is certainly almighty. And we see reference to him as the almighty, omnipotent, and all-powerful God in the New Testament. Last week, we learned what was going on at the time of Isaiah. God was preparing, right, to judge the kingdom of Judah because of their unfaithfulness and their unbelief and their craving for worldly security. And Ahaz, who is king, he's facing an attack from Syria and the northern kingdom, Israel. And they've teamed up to wage war on Judah, the southern kingdom. And Ahaz had no desire to follow the Lord during his reign, and instead he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, read read that in scripture, and in the ways of men. He even burned his son as an offering. God knew the heart of Ahaz, and he continued to pursue him by sending Isaiah to warn him to hold fast to the Lord and to be firm in faith. Isaiah warned him of that. And you can see this played out in 2 Kings chapter 16. But rather than heeding God's warning and trusting in him to deliver Judah, rather than attaching himself to the mighty God, Ahaz turned to the mighty men of Assyria. He turned to them for help. Isaiah had assured Ahaz of God's commitment, but he opted for human strategies and self-rescue, a plan that would come at a cost. Judah would pledge allegiance to Assyria, who would later invade the southern kingdom of Judah and take its people into exile. Ahaz was fearful, and he needed deliverance. And Syria and Israel were bearing down on him. He was in a bind. So he attached himself to mighty man, which distracted him from his dependence on the mighty God. His faith and his confidence and his strength rested in the power of men rather than in the power of God. We can relate, can't we? I know I can. I'm so quick to see trouble on the horizon and scramble to find someone to attach ourselves to for confidence and strength and rescue. We may even attach ourselves to ourself rather than attaching ourselves to God first and then seeking counsel and wisdom and help from people. 
God has so graciously put those people in our lives and we should, um, and, and we should use them. But instead, we go all in on man. And it might provide temporary deliverance. We might win one battle, but it will fail eventually because man is fallible and unable to rescue himself without a spotless and sinless rescuer. There are many other examples in the Old Testament before the promised king's birth of people who put their faith in mighty men and faced similar outcomes. We talked about Saul earlier. Saul attached himself to any strong and valiant man that he saw. And well, um, um, Saul would eventually, um, his, his, his demise would be falling on his own sword after being defeated by the Philistine army. Another example we see is in Jeremiah 48. The cities shall be taken, and the strongholds seized. The heart of the warriors of Moab shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. The mighty warriors of Moab, they were as incapable of stopping an invasion as a woman giving birth is able to stop birth pains. Ladies, I have a hunch that's not that easy, right? Is that true? Even Babylon who took Judah into exile, was defeated by Cyrus, king of Persia, the mighty empire of Babylon. Well, to close the loop on God's people, at the time of Isaiah, Judah's faith turned from men to the Lord. And we see God's faithfulness and deliverance. When Assyria attacked Judah, the army took several cities during Hezekiah's reign. Hezekiah is now king. Hezekiah had faith, and he brought the imminent destruction at, at the hands of mighty men. He brought that before the Lord in prayer. And Jerusalem was spared by God's grace when he sent an angel of the Lord to strike down 185,000 men of the Assyrian army in one night. Not because Hezekiah prayed hard enough or had enough faith, but because God spread his grace upon Hezekiah and the kingdom of Judah to deliver them and continue his fulfillment of his promise. It's important to stop here for a second and remember that our faith doesn't keep us from trials or pain or suffering. In fact, God says we will face trials of various kinds, and he may not choose to bring it to an end even when we do attach ourselves to him, but he will use it for his good and perfect purpose in our life, for our good and for his glory. Attachment does not equal a pain-free and a suffering-free life, but it does equal comfort in the midst of it and ultimate deliverance when we leave this home and enter our forever home with him there in eternity where there will be no more pain and no more suffering. Back to our text in Isaiah 9, the prophet is telling God's people that God hasn't forgot his promise to Abraham that he hasn't forgotten them, his people. Isaiah 9, verse 6, just the very beginning here, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. God's rescue is coming. Even as the fear of the Assyrian army looms and exile is on the horizon, God will send his son to rescue his people, to redeem his people to himself. And even though Isaiah's message had a hardening effect on his own generation, the promise of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace remained. 
the prophesied mighty God would come and live and die very differently than the mighty men we just learned about. This mighty king would be made low, would come to serve, and would empty himself. Not exactly what the people of God expected from the promised child. But it was necessary. It was necessary for him to be sent this way, for him to live this way, and for him to die this way. So that he could rise and sit on the throne and reign over all the earth. He is the mighty God, the one who is worth attaching ourselves to. And his life and ministry are evidence of his strength, his might, and his rescue. We're going to take a look here at the life of Jesus, the king born of man, but fully God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For to us, a child is born. God would come and be born of man, sent by the Father to fulfill his rescue plan, the plan promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, when the first man, Adam, sinned, and God foretold the defeat of Satan, sin, and death, so that we may be redeemed. Mighty God would need to come in the flesh Mighty God would be made lower than the angels, not lacking an ounce of his deity, but made lower in the sense that he left his place of power to walk the earth with men, to be tempted and suffer so that he could sympathize with our temptation and suffering. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe, all-powerful, already worthy of all worship and honor and praise, he chose in his infinite love to humble himself to defeat the ultimate enemy by being made low. If our relationship with God was to be restored, a perfect sacrifice was needed to pay for the wages of our sin. The perfect son who would need to come and the perfect son would need to die. He came as a baby born in a lowly stable, in appearance much lower than the angels, and he is called Mighty God sent to accomplish the most important victory of all time in the most unexpected manner, to suffer humiliation and death to save the sins of the world. With the victory over sin won, fighting God's battle for the hearts of his image bearers, fulfilling God's plan for redeeming all mankind, Jesus, mighty God, would be crowned with glory and exalted above all. What a contrast to the ways of mighty men. That's something worth putting our faith and our trust in, is it not? That is the only thing worthy of putting our faith and trust in. We will be tempted in this life to attach ourselves to mighty men. We should seek them and invite their counsel and their encouragement and help. But how do we know if we've gone beyond that and attached ourselves to someone other than Jesus? It looks like putting our trust in someone, expecting ultimate joy and comfort and peace. I was going beyond wanting to enjoy time with my wife and my kids to help lift me up out of the grind of work. Instead, I was putting so much stock in what they said and what they did to actually rescue me from my stress and my hunger for human interaction and rest. We must only attach ourselves to the mighty, humble, 
loving, and promise-keeping God. He alone will rescue us from the enemy and give us all that we need to endure and overcome. Another example of our mighty God living in a way contrary to mighty men is from Jesus' own mouth. When the mother of James and John came to him and requested that her sons have the seats of honor next to him in eternity. Read this in Matthew 25. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The place of honor and importance and meaning was at the king's right hand. The disciples knew that. And the disciples, specifically James and John in this instance, valued that stature and the notoriety of being at Jesus' side into eternity. They desired to be known by their position rather than by their presence. They wanted more than the rest found in his power. They wanted the world to see that they were significant and that they had done something worthy of, of a place of honor. That's not how our mighty God lived. And instead, he gave himself. He set himself aside for the good of others. He did the ultimate act of service in laying down his life to save those who put their faith in him. He lived with prominence and greatness, but in a lowly state, in a humble state, and in a serving state. Our hearts are often inclined to attach ourselves to prideful position rather than resting in the power of belonging to the mighty God who is always present. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We push and shove ourselves to the spotlight to make a name for ourselves in our workplaces in our social groups, even in our social media news feeds, all because we think we can do it better or faster than God, even if we don't realize that we're thinking that in the moment. In my flesh, I almost do it subconsciously, never even giving thought to, speak to, to seeking or trusting in God. I'm just reacting in the moment. And we attach ourselves to ourself. We are one of those mighty men that we trust too much in our own abilities, whether that's because of our own pride or maybe some other reason. Unless we pursue Christ in the way we serve others, we're chasing the wrong things. Denying ourselves and putting our faith in the mighty God, attaching ourselves to him, will allow us to rest in his power. Christ's life and his ministry were defined by humility and love. He had all of the privileges of king, as king of the universe, which were rightly his because he was God, and he gave them up to become an ordinary Jewish baby found for the, found for the punishment of the cross. Philippians 2 says this, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. While not giving up any part of his deity, the mighty God emptied himself. His love for his people was the motivation that drove him to a position of weakness. He could have stayed put on his throne with full authority over all creation. But for the sake of sinful man, he left his position of of power without becoming any less powerful. Jesus' death was both the greatest victory of all time and the most significant display of his might. In faith, we can attach ourselves to that power which lives in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. With that truth, we also have an example of how to live today. Our sinful flesh and the ways of this world, they often deceive us into thinking that we're strong enough or that someone or something else is strong enough to lead us in overcoming whatever difficulty or trial or challenge we may be facing, large or small. We see a threat on the horizon and we scramble to figure out how we're going to fight or or brace ourselves for impact. We try to take things out of God's hands and put them in our own hands when God is the only one who holds all things in his hands. Jesus' example of making himself low, coming to serve, and emptying himself should remind us of his mightiness and that in faith we can attach ourselves to his power. The kingdom of Judah attached themselves to mighty men, distracting them from their dependence on their mighty God. God's promise to send a different king, a king who would conquer the enemy in the ultimate display of strength and power and might, that promise would be fulfilled in Jesus some 700 years later. We, right now, are living in the already but not yet. Christ's death has rescued us from the penalty of sin. And until he comes again, we've been given a helper, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of every believer. And we can attach ourselves to the helper who is all-powerful and fully able to guide our thoughts and actions into alignment with his. And when Christ returns to finish his work, to establish his kingdom forever where there will be no more sin and no more suffering, the destruction of the enemy and death will be complete. God's people will live in perfect harmony with the Father, attached forever to the mighty God. So who might you be attaching yourself to this morning? Who has the attention of your heart and mind when you're scrambling for a way out? Are you attaching yourself to mighty men or to the mighty God? If you've not put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you're here with us this morning, we're so glad you're here. He wants to be in relationship with you. His shed blood was for you. He cares about your pain and your suffering, and you can confidently attach yourself to him. He's faithful and will work all things together for good and for his glory. The many of you this morning who trust in the mighty God today, run to him. Humbly lay yourself down at the cross and cling to his good promises and his mighty work. When we attach ourselves to mighty men It distracts us from our dependence on our mighty God. Jesus, the mighty God, is the only one worth attaching to. 
I'll end with this. Jesus is certainly strong and mighty in every sense of the word, but his mightiness was displayed in humility as a baby lying in a manger, as a man bloodied and broken on the cross, and as the king seated on his throne at the right hand of God the Father. He is a mighty God who can be trusted. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, um, God, we desire this morning to make room in our hearts for you. And God, not only to make room, but God, to um, allow you all in, to be all in, and that we would completely and fully surrender ourselves and attach ourselves to you who is worthy. God, not only for our good, so that um, we may endure suffering and pain, or so that we may find comfort and peace and strength, but God, so that you and your name alone would, would, would receive the glory and the honor. And God, as we, um, as we prepare our hearts for the birth of the lowly baby of Jesus, who came to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, God, that you God, would remind us uh, that he is worthy of attaching ourselves to. God, would you do a mighty work in our lives this morning as we leave this place? We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.